Hi everyone, this is Andre coming at you with a new different angle. And first of all, for those of you who are not actually watching the video out of this, I'm not even sure if I'm going to publish it. This is sort of a comeback, bringing back the localization news, which if you hadn't been a fan of the localization podcast since the early beginning, you know that that is how I started. So recently, it's mostly me interviewing other known and less known, but still highly knowledgeable and experienced people from the industry. That's what the localization podcast is about these days. But I've had this thing in my backlog for quite some time that maybe we should bring back localization news. First reason for that is purely marketing. I still think that the whole term or keyword localization news is a good one. Second thing is that even though I started doing it, and maybe initially I was liking it, when I got to the to the end of I don't know, maybe the 18, 19 and 20, I think 20 was the last episode that I did it on my own. I wasn't enjoying doing it that much. I have to say that I was also trying to do it on a weekly basis. So maybe that was one of the reasons. But after I started doing interviews, I brought localization news back for the first time, actually. And that was uh, when I made it a group activity. So I invited two other people and each of us brought their own article and we shared, let's say the summary of the article. And then we had a discussion about what the article was about. And I think that was pretty, pretty good. But at the time I was moving or I started working shortly for multilingual. And that was the show that we brought to multilingual and to the multilingual TV, which in a way I started for multilingual and because of how things were going and also with the people that was doing it, they were not very incentivized or motivated, which again could be, could be because I just didn't make them <laughs> uh, interested uh, or motivated enough to, to, to do some stuff about it. Uh, so that's when I decided to close localization news. And recently, because I started getting into teaching and the whole thing with localization academy, and now we're trying to build a community, I thought maybe it would be good to bring it back. And maybe it would be an interesting way for our graduates to say something on these topics. A lot of them have different experience. Some of them are very junior, some of them are more experienced, but trying to learn, let's say, project management and so on. So those are, I think, the reasons why I thought of bringing back localization news. And I also thought that one thing that is personal for me is that I it's a, it's a good practice for me to, to try to speak without crutch words, like using the word like, which I think I tend to overuse sometimes. And basically, I think it's a good practice for me to practice speaking. <laughs> Another thing that I have to actually share, and that is that ever since I started doing interviews, which are getting, I think, more visibility than what I was doing previously on my own. It is quite interesting. 
um, to say that when I was doing the localization news on my own, I think still some people made the effort to message me about the stupid things that I was saying on the podcast. And I even remember once I got a voice message on the on the anchor podcast site. So we are publishing the anchor, I mean, we are publishing the podcast through anchor anchor.fm. And anchor comes up with this public site for your podcast. And there was an option to leave a voice message, I didn't even know about it. And I think it was when I was in Philippines that I read this voice message voice message from one of you. Anyway, what we're going to be doing today is that I'm going to do a very similar thing that I did initially. So looking at a few articles, these articles are a little bit special because they were not picked by me, they were picked by my assistant Vega, who who is helping me with this whole thing. And the reason why we started doing this is that we pick every week, we, I mean, not we, she uh, picks three articles from the internet, which are supposed to have educational value, like to teach you something. So as you know, probably a lot of the companies as part of their content marketing strategy is to create and publish interesting articles, which hopefully should um, give you some value. And maybe then you're going to like their brand more and maybe you'll, I don't know, sign up for the newsletter or you'll be interested in their services. That's how it works. And we decided to basically curate the content that can be found on the internet and give our small humble community on Discord a chance to pick which one is the best. So the way it works is that uh, my assistant finds these three articles, and then we share them on Discord, and we give a voting system to our community, and then they can vote which article they think was the best or the most valuable. And the truth is that not a lot of people actually engage in this activity. So sometimes the voting is decided by my own vote. And so I thought that since I'm already kind of like skimming through the articles, I might as well try to record what I think about articles and have my own practice and maybe, maybe just maybe release it as a podcast or maybe as a video since I'm recording myself on the video as well, because why not? So I think that was a very long intro. And so what I'm going to do now is we have three articles for this week. First one is from we localize. And it's titled machine versus human translation, when to use which for legal translation. So usually whenever we have something about legal or financial translation, I'm like, uh, like, who cares? <laughs> but I assume there are people who care about that. So um, yeah, but instead of going through the whole article, which is slightly longer, I'm going to try to use some of the summarizing AI summarizing tools that you can find on the internet. And I'm just going to go through the summary that was created by these tools. 
and hopefully I'm going to add some comments on top of it. There are actually two platforms that I'm considering right now. One of them is summarizingtool.net and the next one is summarizer.org. Both have very similar interface. I'm wondering which one would be a better output, but I guess it doesn't matter. So let's start with summarizing tool and the first article from we localize. So this is what the summary looks like. Professional human translators have always been the go to way of translating documents for legal proceedings. However, machine translation MT in brackets has become a viable alternative for some types of legal content due to faster turnaround and lower cost while retaining a high level of actionability actionability, did I say that right? Electronic discovery is the process of identifying, collating, 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 organizing and classifying electronically stored information needed for a court case or legal investigation. MT and language identification are crucial in scanning multilingual data, identifying relevant content and streamlining the document review process in a scalable fashion. Combined, they determine the content that needs to be translated by humans. Human translation. I don't know if it's supposed to be a Tyler or what, but it's not very clear from here. After the discovery and review process is complete, the decision comes down to how best to translate selected foreign language content. Three variables need consideration, quality, speed and cost, and there is a trade off between them. Oh, quality, speed and cost. <laughs> there is a trade off between them. Human translation offers greater accuracy, especially for legal and technical documents. A team of linguists and legal experts can make better decisions on how best to translate the content. MT can save time and money during the multilingual discovery process and helps identify the content that requires further review, post editing and human translation. When to use a human translation? Even with the advances in AI and neural machine translation, linguists are needed to edit and review empty output, depending on the translation purpose and use case. Here are some situations where opting for a human translation would be best practice. The content is high priority for the legal team, and as such, it demands accuracy. The language to be translated needs specialized human linguists and translators. Combining machines and humans, while the situations above, above warrant human translation, it is not always efficient or cost effective to rely solely on human translators for large scale cross border litigation. Incorporating MT in the discovery can determine the documented required that incorporating MT in the discovery can determine the documents that require linguists, thus streamlining the process. So let me check this one more time to see if I actually got it right. So electronic discovery is the process of identifying, collecting, organizing and classifying electronically stored information needed for a court case or legal investigation. So what does this mean? I don't know, discovery, like when you're going through bunch of random notes that don't need to be accurate, you just need to get some maybe brief understanding of them. But what if I don't know, and I'm not sure if I'm getting this right. But what if? 
what if the data during the discovery is incorrect because of the machine translation? How do you define which should be, I don't know, like from the series, from all the legal TV series, like, hmm, what did we have there? Suits, that's the one that comes to my mind. Uh, and they usually get swamped by a bunch of documents, which is true. And maybe, I don't know, a lot of these documents are not that necessary to be investigated closely. I have no idea. I know nothing about legal translation. No idea. So um, uh, let me know if you have any thoughts on this. I'm not sure if it's just a summary of the article was poor or what. Let me quickly skim through the actual thing. Multilingual e-discovery. Okay, yeah. This sounds way better. To command the challenge, corporate attorneys and law firms must now sift through terabytes of electronic data. These are digital documents, email databases, spreadsheets, presentations, multimedia files, voicemails, chat transcripts, and online content. Multiply that by the number of languages the data is available in, and it becomes a complex, costly, and all-consuming effort. This is where multilingual e-discovery comes in. Electronic discovery is the process of identifying blah, blah, blah. The challenge is how to best translate the data and figure out which data needs translation in the first place. There's no to be empty and language identification crucial in scanning. Okay, so it's like the first pass. Okay, that kind of makes more sense. So the summer is not good. <laughs> All right, let's go to article number two, which is from a company called Syracom. Syracom. It's spelled C-Y-R-A-C-O-M, International Incorporated. Never heard about this company. And <clears throat> their article is called Is Free in Apostrophes? Is free machine translation worth the risk? One thing that I didn't share before, and that is that I also wanted to, let's say, comment on how the articles actually look like because i'm seeing a lot of articles from different companies and a lot of them actually get fucked by work by bad styling so this one has a very weird featured image uh, but otherwise it's kind of okay it's it's paragraph it has nice headings short paragraphs i would say only the headings i don't like that much so we're going to use the second summarizer, which is summarizer.org for this one. And let's see what this one says. This one is shorter. Machine translation quality disparities. Machine translation MT is often less expensive and has a faster turnaround than hiring a human translator. But before your organization prioritizes, prioritizes cost over quality, Make sure you're informed about the multiple and concerning problems you may encounter with MT. Gender bias. Bias prejudice in favor of or against one thing, person or group compared with another, usually in a way considered to be unfair. If you're translating a document from a language that's gender neutral, thing like English, into a gender specific language, you may inadvertently end up with a biased translation. We discussed this many times on the podcast. Let's say you have a doctor in languages like, I don't think Spanish is the most popular, but even 
in Slovak, my own native language, we do differentiate if it's a male doctor or a female doctor. MT technology relies on context clues and statistics to select the correct replacement word. For example, MT substitutes gender neutral terms such as doctor, <laughs> just talk about it, or director with male vocabulary, right, while caregiver or cleaner end up female, right, because statistically, you have more male doctors and probably more female caregivers. Many companies strive to implement more inclusive, impartial and equitable, equitable practices, yet simple MT bias can do the exact opposite. Pronoun confusion MT struggles with pronouns such as you or they. Alright, well, the summary didn't say much. Uh, what about the second one? I'm going to go back to the summarizing tool and see if there is something else. And this one looks completely different. Without a human editor to review or translate the document, you could end up with inaccurate, inconsistent text that's hard for the reader to understand. Literal translation of nuanced phrases. We often use metaphors and other creative language to communicate. To communicate. If you're translating clever catchphrases, sensitive content, creative descriptions, or symbolic language, you'll need a human editor to ensure the correct meaning comes across. As a result, terms selected by automated translators can deviate from the original meaning. However, human translators understand cultural values and unspoken rules to create a final product that communicates effectively with your target audience. Inadequate accommodation of literacy levels. Unlike human editors, empty technology cannot adapt text complexity based on the intended reader. You wouldn't want to insult highly educated scholars with oversimplified text. And you'd probably avoid using complex language for readers with lower comprehension skills. I feel like this is a summary of a completely different text. Did I mess it up? Machine. Okay, now I'm looking at the original one from the Syracom blogger. Machine gender bias. If you translate pronoun confusion, empty struggles with pronouns such as you or they, right? Words with multiple meanings. We often use metaphors. Well, a human translator knows the idiom. It's raining cats and dogs means heavy rainfall. A machine will know the phrase has an alternative meaning unless programmed to do so. Literacy levels. Oh, here is the part that was put into the summary. Questionable data security. Ugh. Okay. I feel like the article is pretty decent. Or let's say saying what are the drawbacks of using just machine translation and where a human translation human translator can perform better. It's just that the summary is poor. Okay, let's go to the last one because my neck is going to hurt in this position. This one is from United Language Group, ULG. And it's about Canadian French versus French, seven important differences you need to know. I'm not even sure if I should go to the summary. Let's try it. One, two, 
Okay, it's skip number two. There's three, four, six. <laughs> okay, it looks like these guys are not good with the summary of bulleted things. So let me just go to the original one. The different types of Canadian French. First, let's take a quick look at some of the different types of Canadian French. The most well-known and solidly French-speaking province is Quebec. 85% of Quebecois speak French and 80% speak it as a first language. But there's also Acadian French, mostly spoken in New Brunswick. Meanwhile, Metis French, Metis, Metis is a severely endangered dialect spoken by the First Nations Metis people. Okay, so here we go. What are the differences? Number one, Canadian French sounds more archaic. Archaic. Archaic? Archaic. The French began settling in Canada in the 16th and 17th centuries, but by the 18th century, the British had taken over. Many French-speaking Canadians kept speaking French, but were somewhat isolated from other French speakers. As a result, the Canadian French of today retains some characteristics from 17th century French that no longer exists, exists in regular French. These differences include both differences in pronunciation and vocabulary. For example, the vowel sound in words like droid and freud <laughs> is still pronounced in Quebec as it was in 16th, 16th and 17th century France. Well, I probably didn't pronounce it correctly. Number two, Canadian French uses more anglicisms. Canadian French may sound older in some ways, but it also uses more anglicisms than standard, than standard French. Anglicisms are words and phrases taken from English. These may be English words adopted without alteration, English words given a French spelling or French suffix, or English phrases and idioms directly translated into French. Number three. Canadian French incorporates more Aboriginal words. Okay, so they have different words. I'm not going to read it. Grammatical differences. Canadian French and European French also have some variations in grammar, both spoken and written. Here are just a few examples. When speaking, Canadians are much more likely to address others informally. Using the informal pronoun to and its associated informal verb forms. That said, business will still use the formal most of the time, and so on. Number five, differences in vocabulary and slang. Uh, there are differences, blah, 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 some of which can prove embarrassing. For example, if you ask a French dad about his, about his gosses, you would be asking about his kids. But ask the same question in, ask the same question to, Quebecois man, and you're inquiring about the state of his testicles. <laughs> nice. Differences in pronunciation. As you might expect, Canadian French and European French also have some notable differences in pronunciation. These include, but are not limited to, differences in the way some vowels, vowels are pronounced, pronouncing D and T as Z and T before vowels U and I. Okay, too much for me. Number seven, finally, different industry-specific terminology and language regulations. Okay, skimming through the paragraph, 
Uh, I don't see anything that interesting. Now, so I've given you some idea about what these articles are about. Mostly just reading because I cannot create my own summary. And I don't want to lose time on that. And I'm just testing this out. I'm not sure if I'm going to publish this. We'll see. So if I had to choose and I'm going to do the voting right now, I'm definitely not going to vote for the third one. Because if we're talking about, let's say, let's say my own criteria would be how is this relevant or valuable to my career? So how does it help knowing the differences between Canadian French and French? I really don't know. I think if you know that there are some differences, that's a that's a good start. But if you are, I don't know, project manager, you probably don't care. It's just about sending it to the right people. Now, when it comes to the first two articles, which are surprisingly both about machine translation, the first one about we localize is about the legal thing, which from the summary it didn't make it look very nice. But I think the idea that I, that I got from there is use MT for the discovery, and then decide which documents need to be done by humans. I'm trying to think if this approach would apply to some other things outside of legal translation, where you do initial something with machine translation, then you decide which needs to be translated manually. I think I'm not sure even if for example, customer support that is done in multi language where the agents don't understand the language, where it also works that way, especially with the chatbots that you have right now, right? I think if you analyze and evaluate that the query from the customer is a basic one, you try to answer it yourself. And then if it doesn't work, or if it seems to be too complex, you pass it on to an actual human agent. So I actually think that the second article from this company, I have never heard of Syracum, Syracum uh, which talks mostly about the drawbacks of MT and why it's not perfect. I think I'm going to give my vote for that one there. I just did it. So that is my vote. I'm not sure what else I would share here. Because once I start talking, I cannot stop. But I think we're pretty good. I've been recording for 27 minutes right now. So we kept this under half an hour. I think that's okay. I'm not sure if just me reading articles is enough to make this interesting and valuable to the people. Or even if we should call it localization news because localization news in my understanding, let's say my first, I don't know how to say this in my first meaning of what localization news should stand for is actually covering the news, which is something that Slater pot already does. So I think we're still going to be focusing on the educational content because that also fits with what localization academy is here for. So I think I'm going to just wrap it up right here. If you got to this 
point. Well, thank you very much for spending almost half an hour with me listening to this. And let me know, like definitely let me know, like, what do you think I could be doing differently? What would make this segment where it's on my own or with other people more interesting if you are interested in actually getting some valuable information through the power of a voice through a podcast. And yeah, in any way, I always say that, you know, you should let me know and blah, blah, blah. But but I really mean it. <laughs> it would be nice to to get some feedback, especially if it's a negative one, especially if you can make it a little bit constructive. So <laughs> but if you feel good by just saying that this sucks, that also gives me some ideas about what I created here. So I would be fine with that. Um, and that's it. I don't want to excuse me for the sound. I don't want to prolong this anymore, because I'm just going to be talking about total random bullshit. So that is the I don't know, the first comeback for the second time episode of the localization news as a segment of the localization podcast. It's getting complicated. Anyway, thank you. And maybe I'll be back. Who knows? Goodbye.